But really, though, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, both sides can agree here that the more people having health care coverage is a good thing for the state. I don't think there would be any disagreement among the two candidates in the race that you're looking at here with House District 9 or, or candidates really across the state. I think everyone agrees kind of that more people having health coverage is a good thing. For the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina, I'm Lucille Sherman. This is the special 2020 elections edition of Don't Cast. Every Monday until November 3rd, I'll be spotlighting a different North Carolina legislative or statewide race. This week, we're zooming into House District 9 in eastern North Carolina. Reporting to you live from my Raleigh apartment on a lovely Sunday afternoon. Here's what you need to know about this race. Pitt County's House District 9 is currently a Republican-held seat. It's held by Representative Perrin Jones, an anesthesiologist who was appointed to the seat last September when Republican Greg Murphy, who is also a physician, won his bid for Congress. Civitas's partisan index classifies this race as a toss-up with a very slight Democratic leaning. And this race is in the top 20 of the most expensive legislative races in the state, though that could change when the next batch of campaign finance reports come out in October. I will keep you updated. What I found most interesting about the candidates in this race is that both Representative Jones and his Democratic opponent, Pitt County native Brian Farkas, have similar policy platforms when it comes to health care. First, they both want to expand Medicaid though they have slightly different approaches and their plans for doing so. We've talked a little bit about this in previous episodes, but the Republican-controlled legislature here still has not passed Medicaid expansion, which has the potential to create, by some estimates, thousands of new healthcare jobs, bolster rural hospitals, and expand access to care. And some Republican legislators have come out in support of Medicaid expansion. Last year, Republicans introduced a bill with their own version of Medicaid expansion during the budget stalemate we've talked so much about. It did not go anywhere. And this year, Governor Roy Cooper signed into law Medicaid transformation, which is set to start July 2021. A quick aside on Medicaid transformation because I found it confusing as I was trying to report on the topic. It means that North Carolina will now divvy up its Medicaid budget into lump sums that will then get sent to private health plans, known as managing care organizations or MGOs. They will get to keep any Medicaid money they have left over at the end of each year. The hope is that this will create extra incentives for providers to work on preventative care and more personalized approaches for their patients. And this year, over and over, Governor Roy Cooper and Department of Health and Human Services Secretary Mandy Cohen have encouraged the passage of Medicaid expansion to no avail. I'm on the edge of my seat to see, under whichever party wins, if Medicaid expansion will pass in North Carolina in the next legislative session, though there are questions about how that would affect the transformation. Because House District 9 has both Greenville-based Vidant Hospital, which is the economic engine of Pitt County, along with more rural areas that lack access to care, Medicaid expansion is a really important topic in this race. Not to mention that healthcare touches nearly every major issue when it comes to politics, like 
education, the economy, racial equality, and more. The second layer of Representative Jones and Farkas's healthcare policy platforms is that they both want to allocate funding to the Brody School of Medicine at East Carolina University. The Brody School of Medicine is important when we're talking about both this district and statewide healthcare because the school graduates thousands of students who go on to practice medicine all over North Carolina every year, including in rural areas. Bidet Hospital, where Representative Jones himself works, is also affiliated with the school. Representative Jones told me legislators on both sides of the aisle have tried for years to pass funding for the Brody School. There was funding for the school in last year's budget bill even, but that was vetoed. Today we're going to hear from the Executive Director of the North Carolina Coalition for Fiscal Health. But first, I want you to hear from the candidates directly on how they would describe their district and their community. First up is Brian Farkas, who currently works at his family's architecture business. House 9 is the eastern half of Pitt County. It's got about half of Greenville, which is our, our biggest city, home to East Carolina University. And it's the, the headquarters of Viden Health, which is our major healthcare system in the east. But it's also got some great small towns like the town of Grimesland, Village of Simpson, some other rural areas. And the good news is I grew up right in the middle of it. I know it like the back of my hand. It's a really special place with a lot of history and a real independent spirit too, which I, I think is great. Thanks, Brian. Next up, we have House District 9's incumbent, Representative Jones. Well, House District 9, in a lot of ways, is very similar to North Carolina as a whole. North Carolina has been dealing, like many other states, with kind of a divide between urban areas and rural areas. And District 9 really mimics that that urban-rural divide. The district includes parts of Greenville, which is kind of like the, the hub city for the central eastern part of North Carolina. But as you go out further into the eastern parts of the district, it's very rural. A lot of, a lot of farmland, a lot of agricultural spaces. So in a lot of ways, District 9 is kind of a, kind of represents a microcosm of what North Carolina looks like as a whole. Now that we have a sense of what this district looks like, let's turn to Austin Viverka with North Carolina's Coalition for Fiscal Health. Austin Viverka is a former spokesman for Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina and is now the executive director of North Carolina Coalition of Fiscal Health. Austin, thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so first, can you tell me a little bit about the North Carolina Coalition of Fiscal Health and what it is and kind of what it does? Sure. We're a, we're a 501c4 focused on healthcare affordability. Our, our issues are the issues that impact healthcare costs. We're active on issues such as telehealth or surprise billing, association health plans and EPOs. Our, our focus is really on making healthcare more affordable for individuals and small businesses in North Carolina and supporting the policies that make healthcare more affordable for those people. Gotcha. So we're talking about House District 9 today and the role of healthcare in this race. Can you tell me a little bit in your mind about why healthcare is particularly 
an important topic in this race? Well, this is a great race to look at. It's a district that is that could go either way in November. It has a hospital system, Vident, as the main employer and really economic driver of the district. You have ECUs, Brody School of Medicine, and you have some rural areas. So it really kind of en- encompasses a lot of the different, um, a lot of different population aspects. And you have two candidates who support Medicaid expansion in this race. Yeah, and what's interesting to me is yes, we have a Republican and a Democratic candidate who have really similar priorities when it comes to healthcare. Both want to revamp the Brody School of Medicine, which is a really important part of the community. And they both want to expand Medicaid. I'll bet they have different policies and how they want to execute that. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, sort of the the role of Medicaid in politics last two years? There have been there's been at least one Republican bill to expand Medicaid, but what has that sort of how has that sort of played out in the legislature this year or in the last year? Well, Medicaid expansion has ran into some politics and COVID-19 has pushed a lot of issues to the back burner. So while Medicaid expansion was was being pushed for, it didn't happen. Like you mentioned, there was a Republican bill. The governor had his own proposal. Like you mentioned, they are they are similar. There's some slight differences, such as work requirements in the Republican version. And in this race, you have the the two candidates who, of course, support expanding Medicaid, albeit the the different versions, like you suggested. So yeah, there's a there's been Republican efforts and there's been Democratic efforts to expand Medicaid here in North Carolina. A number of other states have done it. Some have seen a lot of success from it. And, and here in North Carolina, the the Republican different and Democratic ideas they're not they're not so far apart. They would both expand uh, Medicaid up to 133 percent of the federal poverty level. The Republican version has some work requirements and some some premiums that would be required with some exceptions. And under certain circumstances, if the if the program approved by CMS doesn't substantially comply with the requirements of the bill under the Republican bill, like if funding is inadequate, then expansion would would go away. But really, though, I mean, I think when it comes down to it, I think both sides can agree here that, that more people having health care coverage is a good thing for the state. I don't think there would be any disagreement among the two candidates in the race that you're looking at here with House District 9 or, or candidates really across the state. I think everyone agrees kind of that more people having health coverage is a good thing. It saves money. It's going to lower uncompensated care costs. And moreover, making sure people can get care when they're sick is just the right thing to do. So I, I think now it's, a, it's determining what, what path is taken. And, and whatever's done, it, it needs to be done in a way that just ensures greater access to coverage. And it should be fiscally responsible, and it should lower healthcare costs for the state. And I think you can find people on both sides of the aisle to kind of get on board and get behind that, or I would hope so. Yeah, I definitely think we've seen more of a shift across the country, but yeah, even in North Carolina, with Republican legislators who are behind the idea of expanding Medicaid. Like you mentioned, last year, there was the Carolina CARES Act, which would have expanded Medicaid, and it was a Republican-sponsored bill. And so I think we're seeing, yeah, much more, much less of a divide when it comes to talking about this issue. So something you and I have talked a lot about is how we thought 
the role of Medicaid expansion would play into the 2020 election. I think it was sort of, I know I was hired as a politics reporter with the plan of covering Medicaid expansion as an issue in the 2020 election. And it just really isn't anymore. I think a lot of that is because of COVID-19 and different things. Can you talk sort of more about your thoughts on that? Medicaid expansion was the hot political issue in in North Carolina politics earlier in the year. And then COVID-19 happened. And like a lot of things, it, it kind of gotten pushed to push a little to the back burner. COVID-19 has monopolized, understandably so, a lot of the a lot of the space. And it's been the focus of a lot of our policymakers. And, and justifiably. That doesn't make the things that were in important pre-COVID-19 any less important. It just means that there hasn't been as much focus paid to them during during the pandemic and during the election. Things like Medicaid expansion, things like surprise billing, which was a big issue on both the state and federal level before COVID-19 happened. These are, these are really important issues and COVID-19 makes them even more important. It just so happens that COVID-19 has, has in and of itself has become the main issue and main focus during the 2020 elections. How do you think the coronavirus has made Medicaid expansion more important? Or do you think it's sort of emphasized our need to fix our healthcare system at all? I think the pandemic has made it clear that more people need to have healthcare coverage and more people need to have affordable healthcare coverage. Medicaid expansion is one of the many ways that policymakers can go about making healthcare coverage more affordable if done in the right ways. There, there's been other things that, that policymakers can do and should focus on to make te- healthcare more affordable. For example, utilization of telehealth has skyrocketed during the pandemic. Um, people have wanted, have needed healthcare and they've wanted to stay home. Um, and that's been a good thing because you stay out of a doctor's office, you're able to socially distance. So the utilization of telehealth going up is a good thing. Telehealth is an outstanding tool um, that can expand access to healthcare and lower healthcare cost. So one question that policymakers are gonna have to look at um, next year is what's the future of telehealth like post COVID-19? It's long been seen as a great tool to lower healthcare costs and expand access. But then there's there's talk of telehealth parity requirements where where it would be required to pay the same amount for an in-person visit as you would for a telehealth visit. The problem with that is that erodes all of the cost savings that could be generated through telehealth. So what's telehealth going to look like post-COVID-19 is a is a great question that Whoever wins this race and all the other races is going to have to grapple with next year. Yeah, it feels like that's one really positive thing that's come out of the pandemic is this focus and shift to telehealth. And it's so important and, like you said, much more affordable. And so it's really interesting to see this issue sort of pushed to the forefront. And I'm sure makes you happy <laughs> to see this issue pushed to the front. Absolutely. We we love telehealth. The utilization that we've seen with COVID is been has been great. We want telehealth to continue and to be able to 
be a tool that expands access and lowers costs. But you have to be able to preserve those cost savings and requiring equal payments for a, a phone call or video chat as you would for an in-person visit. Just it takes away all the cost savings that could be delivered to the healthcare consumer. Yeah. Are there any other issues that whoever wins this race are going to be dealing with come the 2020 session or 2021 session? Wow. We talked about telehealth. We've talked about Medicaid expansion. We know that funding for the Brody School of Medicine will be important. Is there anything else you can think of that will sort of can these candidates will have to deal with? I think one of the big issues that was that was very it was a hot topic, much like Medicaid expansion pre COVID nineteen was surprise billing. We heard a lot of stories about you know those like you know your surprise thirty thousand dollar hospital bills. And what happens is, you know, if if a patient seeks care at an in-network hospital, they can still receive services from a provider who's out of network. Even though the patient may not be aware that they're out of network, they still get those services and then they get a bill for the out-of-network rate. How to address that is a big thing. There was a bill introduced in the last legislative session that would put a benchmark amount on what could be charged. It would be similar to what a person's in-network rate was. And it's a this is a great consumer protection because in an emergency, when you're going to the ER, you may be going out of network, or if you are in surgery and the anesthesiologist in your surgery maybe is practicing in an in-network hospital, but their anesthesiologist practice is out of network, you could be hit with a big out-of-network bill. And you did everything right, right? You went to an in-network hospital or you may be, it may be an emergency situation where you didn't have a choice. Protecting consumers by setting an amount that they can be, that up to which they can be charged was a, was a solution introduced last session. It was a, it was a good solution. Um, and it's one that, this is an issue that's not going away and, and solving it is going to be one that whoever wins this race and the rest of the General Assembly is going to need to deal with come 2021. Is there anything else you think voters across North Carolina or even voters voting in House District 9 should be thinking about when it comes to health care? Yes, I think that voters should look at holistically at, at health care on who is going to, who has the best ideas to lower the cost of health care expand access to healthcare. Medicaid expansion is one of the issues. Telehealth is another one, surprise billing. More insurance options like EPOs is another is another great example. So we can allow small businesses to take away, to take advantage of some of the same sort of insurance options that are available to large corporations in the state. There's a there's a lot of things that North Carolina policymakers can do to lower healthcare costs. And there's there's things that we should be excited about for them doing. And hopefully the General Assembly takes these up and and next year, whoever wins is able to move these issues forward in a positive direction and really lower healthcare costs for people and small businesses in the state. Gotcha. Austin, thanks so much for joining me. I really appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We'll be right back after this quick break. It's Monday, September 28th, and there are 36 days until the general election. 
On Friday, political scientist Dr. Michael Bitzer reported that North Carolina's State Board of Elections had received over 1 million absentee ballot requests, nearly 10% of the state's population. Last year, around the same time, the state had received just a little over 221,000 absentee ballot requests. My colleagues and I at the News and Observer are reporting a lot of other things happening ahead of the general election, including the resignation of the only two Republican members of the Board of Elections, as my colleagues Will Doran and Danielle Battaglia reported this week. Read more about the scoop Battaglia got on the reasons behind one of those resignations at newsobserver.com. We'll see you next week.